right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. We don't got time for that. Right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it, Glenn Cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson with Adam Dravetta. Josita Butar is going to join us in a little. We've also got Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks, joining us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. Michael Swain is going to join us to kind of get behind enemy lines with Iowa State. He'll join us a quarter till five. And Brandon McAnderson, former key Orange Bowl winning running back, is going to join us at 340. A lot going on this weekend. Chiefs and the Eagles trying to bounce back on Sunday. Late night, the fog tonight, which is going down on ESPN Plus. And KU football taking on Iowa State tomorrow. It's interesting because, you know, when you look at this KU-Iowa State game, it's it's not really one that... I want to spend a lot of time breaking down specifically because I just don't really envision this game going well for KU. Um, ESPN SP Plus ranks Iowa State 30th in offense. They're 14th in defense. And the most similar defense KU played was Baylor, who was 11th. And we all saw how that went. The spread is in the mid-30s right now. And while Iowa State has won the last six in the series, what I'm more interested in is the fact that KU has actually hung in there several times in that span. So 2016, Iowa State won 31-24. 2018, Kansas didn't really do anything on offense, but it was 27-3, so it wasn't like a total blowout. And, and 2019, that was the closest of them all. It was a game late in the fourth quarter. Kansas led 31-27 to into the fourth quarter to LeBrock Purdy touchdown with like five minutes left, made it 34-31, and it was still just three-point game for a little bit longer. Iowa State had to score the game ceiling touchdown with a minute and nine seconds left to go up 41 to 31. But that was a really good game. That was just two years ago. In Ames last year, it was 52 to 22, but it was 38 to 22 late in the game. I don't I don't know if that means anything. Obviously, you know, like the 2016 game when he lost 31-24. Like nobody on this team was on that team. That doesn't mean anything from that standpoint. And I've said this before with other streaks. Sometimes, though, when there is a streak, I said this with Baylor week, I'll say this probably when they play Texas because they've done well in the series against them. You just don't bet against the streak. And it's the same way with, like, could Alabama not make the college football playoff? Of course they could. Am I going to bet on it? No, I'm not. So the fact that they have been close, again, I I don't think it means anything specifically, but it does mean a little bit to me. For me, I'm more looking at what they've, what each team has done this season, and Iowa State so far, they're how they respond to the fact that they've basically now played themselves out of the playoff. When they were talking about themselves and nationally, they were being talked about as a playoff team. They start off the year with a loss to Iowa in the game that they really weren't in, uh, and then they lose to Baylor, and I think that they came up short on the two point conversion at the end of that game, if I if I remember it right. So they have a disappointing game against Baylor. Now Baylor, that you know, could prove to be not 
a bad loss. Baylor's in the rankings now. I wouldn't be surprised if they end the season in the rankings. That that team has really jumped up to to prove themselves as a legitimate uh, top twenty five team. So losing to Baylor by two points is there's no shame in that. Losing to Iowa, who has an outside shot of winning the Big Ten and going to the playoff, there's no shame in that either. But Iowa State viewed themselves and certainly were viewed nationally as a team that could go to the playoff, that could win the Big 12 this year. And they still control their own destiny to win the Big 12. That's, you know, obviously true. But how are they going to respond? And it could go of one of two ways. Either they are, you know, they're anxious, they're not sure, they're down on themselves, and KU gets a chance to hang around. Now, I don't think just athletically I don't think KU can hang with them and I don't know play calling wise that Lance Leipold and the Jayhawks have enough bullets in the chamber to actually win this game uh, because they're outmatched athletically so much but I do think this could be a game that Iowa State gets a little anxious makes a few mistakes that they wouldn't have otherwise made because they are down on themselves but it could also go the other way in which they're furious they see a team that they should beat and it's, you know, they basically beat KU the way we would have expected them to do at the beginning of the year when we saw them as a playoff contender. Yeah, and that's the challenge for Matt Campbell. But I think what has to help him there is, I mean, speaking of past history, Matt Campbell has been electric in the month of October. Um, I think they're 10-1 and dating back the last three years in the month of October, and that includes games against Oklahoma, against TCU, against Texas, some of the other top teams year-to-year in the Big 12. This has been their month, and you look at it, it starts out with Kansas. You would think if you're Iowa State, that's a good start for things to turn around, especially when, you know, the way you lose those games, they doubled up Iowa in yards. They just had turnover issues. You know, you out-yard Baylor. You have the tipped interception. You missed the two-point conversion. Uh, This isn't new that Iowa State has struggled early in the season. They've lost Iowa early in the year. They've struggled. uh, Last year, you lose to Louisiana early in the year. So their college football playoff hopes are done, although I guess, you know, it's it's entirely possible that um, maybe we do get a situation where a two-loss team eventually can make it into the playoff, and, and this year has been pretty crazy so far, so if ever it were to happen, maybe this is the year if they could win out, but more than likely, that's not going to happen. But they can still win the Big 12 title, and they haven't done that before. They haven't had a 10-win season. That's still on the table for this team. And, you know, as far as just breaking down this game, I could tell you that Iowa State has a really good quarterback who can be creative and Brock Purdy. I could tell you that Brees Hall is one of the best running backs in the country. I could tell you they have maybe the best tight end room in the country or that you know the defense is really stout and that they give up 216 yards per game so far this year and just 18 points per game. They, they prevent big plays. I could tell you all that stuff, but I just... I just don't want to spend too much time on the X's nose of this game because it's a 34.5-point spread. And, yes, if if Iowa State is minus three in the turnover department in this game and KU has a special teams touchdown and they have their best game on offense, then sure, they can make it again. But I I, I just don't want to spend time on the idea that, you know, if if everything happens, best-case scenario, then Kansas can do this or that because that's not realistic. So this more so comes down to a couple things for me. One... Try to cover the spread for the first time this season. I know that's that's a silly thing to ask, and I, I know Lance Leipold isn't going into the game looking at it as, well, we're up 34 nothing to start the game, you know? Like, we just got to cover it. We just got to be within 34 points. That's not what I mean. 
just from a couple things. One, make your alumni some money. Um, but more importantly, I think covering the spread would probably signify a more competitive game for this team. Uh, and as I said before, it's not black or white to say, you know, in the Coastal Carolina game, you didn't cover the spread. You were still competitive, right? They so, do. yeah. So you didn't cover the spread, but you're still competitive. It's not black or white to say that is what defines if you were competitive or not. But in a game where you're 34 and a half point underdogs, it kind of is. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and, and how, you know, even if you don't cover the spread, how did you go about, you know, losing? If, if what did you say, it was 34? 34 and a half, yeah. 34, okay, so if it's if it's 42 to 7, you know, in the third quarter, and KU comes out and, and grabs a touchdown and it's 42-14, I probably won't be as impressed as, let's say it's the third quarter and it's, you know, and it's, I don't know, 28-10, to 10, uh, something along those lines, and, and Iowa State grabs another touchdown or something like that, that would make it 35-10, you're still within the spread at that point. That's what I'm really looking for is, you know, wh- how are you playing – Really, just like against Duke, I mean, I don't anticipate KU being able to lead this game at, at halftime like they get like they did against Duke, but you know, show that you at least for a time belong on the same field as Iowa State. Yeah, and and yeah, covering is a great way to start that, especially with a line like this. I think with Duke, you know, you were able to keep, it was able to to appear competitive at one point. And Duke still cover because the spread was only sixteen and a half mm-hmm. points. With this, if you if they cover the spread, you will never you won't be able to argue it was ever competitive. You know, you might yeah. be you know you could say, well, we had them at three nothing at the in the end of the <laughs> right. first quarter, and then they 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 took off. But if they cover the spread, at no point will this game be considered competitive. And yeah, I think that's a, that's a great place to to look at it. And I think. How they do it will matter too. I think hanging within that, you know, fourteen point mark to twenty one point mark for the whole game would be big. I would take that way more than, like I said, being down forty two seven. Yeah, and then, then just packing the on a fourth touchdown. quarter fourteen nothing. Yeah, I I think too. It's a little hypocritical from what I'm about to say here, but like in the same way that you've these past couple games kind of fallen apart a little bit in the third quarter where you did have it competitive and then you fell apart after it was 28-22 against Coastal Carolina, after it was 27-21 and then 28-27 against Duke, and then it was just all them for the finish. You're better off with that happening than just having the result be one way the whole time because even though we're going to have questions on Monday about, oh, it happened again, they couldn't finish off in the third quarter. It's better to have that question that seems more fixable in the long term than it is to just say we got boat raced the whole way through. So cover the spread. That's the first thing. The second thing that I think you're looking for this game, continue to perform well and show your explosiveness offensively against a really good defense. I'm not saying you got to go out there and put up 33 points like you did against Duke. This team giving up, like I said, a little over 200 yards per game. Um, but who would have thought this KU offense would be so explosive this season? I mean, it might not have a ton of the 
short play and intermediate play consistency, I think that's the next step for the offense. But they're hitting big plays, whether it's, and I think a big product of it is because of Jason Bean's ability to run and scramble and create those big plays. But you're hitting those. You hit a couple of big running plays with Devin Neal uh, last week. You've hit some big pass plays with Jason Bean down the field. You've proven to be an actually pretty explosive offense. And now that you are facing not just a really good defense, but one who prides themselves on limiting the big plays and keeps you in front of them. It's kind of similar to all those great Bill Snyder defenses. You know, if you even put up 20 points in this game and hit a few more big plays against this defense, I think that's a really good sign moving forward for what you're going to do against other Big 12 defenses. Jason Bean's yards per attempt has gone up every game this year. I don't expect it to do that again because it was yeah. 10 against Duke. But if, if he's hanging around that eight yards attempt mark, that's going to show a lot, especially when you look at, you know, how does he get there? I, I don't know. What I don't know about Jason Bean is his, um, I can't remember the name of the stat, but it's yards per. Oh, net air yards per attempt or yeah, net yards per Yeah, something like that. So basically yeah. what it does is if you get, the way the stat works is if, if, a, if a receiver catches it 10 yards away but runs for another 40, you don't get credit for a 50-yard pass. You get credit for that 10 yards. I don't know what he's doing there. The, the point is, if, if your receivers are doing all the work, that number's going to be lower. But if if Jason Bean shows an ability in this offense, shows an ability to make a few really, really explosive plays, that's that's going to be something worth noting. And, and sustained drives. Now, I would take, you know, I would take a touchdown – you know, I would take a three-minute touchdown drive over a nine-minute field goal drive. But I, I do think sustaining drives, because if they sustain drives, that means they are getting intermediate plays. Yes. And, yeah, continuing to see, that's that's another good point as well with Jason Bean. Um, I know you weren't saying this again. You were saying that, you know, his number's probably going to go down from the yards per attempt just because of the defense. But continue to see good stuff from the quarterback, you know. Uh, that's how much been, more do they trust him? If you're 30 yeah. Thirty-two or thirty-three times against Duke, I mean, if they if they show a, a, a especially when you've got Devin Neal running for a hundred yards, which again I don't know that he does against Iowa State, but if they show a trust in Jason Bean to throw a bunch, even if it's not in the thirties, but if they show a trust to, for him to throw a bunch, I mean, that's that's all good signs. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, I, I just looked and. Uh, his air yards per attempt. His yards per attempt is a little over eight right now. It's at eight point two. His air yards per attempt is actually at seven point six. So it's not that far back. And out of comparison, Spencer Rattler, yeah, is a seven point seven. He's yeah, he's he was actually really close to um, I can't remember the uh, Basilac. Spencer Rattler was close to Basilac over at Missouri, and and that's kind of a dink and dunk offense mm-hmm. in Columbia, and so. You know that that just shows you that that a lot of, you know, a lot of the work for this from this passing game is coming from Jason Bean. Not to say, I mean, the receivers are really good too. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying it's not a circumstance where these receivers are getting 25 yards. Out right. Of the it's not 2012 Baylor where it's just hey, throw a bubble screen and, and he's going to go 60 yards for the touchdown. So that's impressive. And that brings me to the third thing. Use this week, and this is the final thing, to continue an upward trajectory to the rest of the season, and most importantly, most of all, your next game. You have a bye week next week. It's your best chance uh, coming off a bye week, taking on a team in homecoming. You only lost to Tech by three last year. You beat Tech by three the year before. 
That's your best chance at a win moving forward. So I don't care as much about what happens this week against Iowa State, but are you putting yourself in the best position to win in two weeks? Biggest thing for KU to beat Tech in two weeks is for you and your wife to renew your vows. <laughs> because for those who don't know this, uh, when KU beat Tech, mm-hmm. of course, on that famous uh, crazy ending in which they blocked and then Texas Tech picked it up to give KU another chance, they made that field goal, and that was very exciting. That came the day after uh, Derek and his lovely wife, Stacy were married. So you guys, that's... Push comes to shove, you know, all all hands on deck. Uh, you guys renew your vows that Friday night. But from how from how KU football can handle uh, their business, yeah, I think you're you're 100 right. I mean, figure out um, what you do wrong and 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 what you can improve on because right now, as it stands, KU cannot do anything from here till the end of the season to make themselves more athletic. I know that they still do weights, and I know they still do strength and conditioning, but while you're in the season, strength and conditioning is more about maintenance. Getting bigger and faster, that's what comes in the offseason. And so right now, you're in a position where when you're the coaches and you're the players, you're not going to get more athletic, so you have to do what you can with what you have. And this is a good chance to do that because they can – if, if they're in the right spots, you know, we talked before about missed tackles. Lance Leipold even said in his press conference, Lance Leipold, or I mean, um, in his press conference said, is it about, uh, you know, not being in the right spot or is it about just not wrapping up? Is it technique? These are all things they can learn. And if they do the, the if they do things right, uh, then they can spend two weeks of practice building on that. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. Brandon McAnderson will join us in about 20 minutes. Let's talk late night fog, late night in the fog on the other side. This is RCST. All right, it's a Friday. That time to talk to Brandon McAnderson, former KU Orange Bowl winning running back. Remember the Jayhawk Radio Network. You can hear him on the call tomorrow. Pre-game starts at 4.30 on KLWN, and that'll lead till kickoff at 6 o'clock, which you can also hear on our sister station, 105.9 KISS. Uh, BMAC, the Duke game. I think you can come away with it from you know a positive standpoint of the offense, uh, maybe a little negative standpoint from what happened with the defense in that game. Let's let's start with the offense in that game. What kind of progress did you see in the Duke game specifically from where they had been in the first three weeks of the season? So I saw a ton of progress across the O line. Now the O line just played better, you know, and I think that Duke is up front is not as formidable as Coastal Carolina or Baylor. Uh, probably not even close in the front seven. However, what you didn't see were mistakes. You know, how many times this year has, you know, Jason Bean dropped back to throw and there's like an untouched linebacker sprinting right at his face? And there was none of that. And the reason I said that makes me happy is because it's not just simply, you know, they played a front that wasn't as good. That having free linebackers running through all the time is not a matter of whether or not the front's good. That's That's a miscommunication. Uh, by the offensive line. They didn't have any of those. So I was really optimistic about that. Also about the running backs in the run game. Uh, the run game has been Jason Bean or Bust uh, since since week one. It was nice to see the running backs come out and have production separate from Jason Bean and uh, kind of be a good complement to what he can do with his arm. And I think that was the big part that's – I mean, for anybody that was optimistic about Jason Bean – as a potential starting quarterback, could not have expected him to throw the ball this well. I mean, the first half, I mean, he was red hot. 
I mean, some of the ball locations he was hitting, um, you know, some of the deep ball ball locations he was hitting, you know, you got the great, great Trevor Wilson catch, but that's just the quarterback seeing a defensive back's back turn and then taking advantage and throwing it into a small window. So, I mean, he's got to be throwing the ball better than anyone could have hoped for uh, before his arrival on campus. So there's a lot of things to be excited about, but particularly the O-line continuity is finally starting to come together and we see some positives out of that group. And when you look at just the rushing production you got from Devin Neal and Tory Lachlan, is that as much a product of the offensive line as it is how they performed? I think so, and it's also kind of the evolution of the offense. You know, being that the early weeks was basically Jason Bean or Bust in a run game, that touchdown for Tory Lachlan, the 36-yarder, was a basically a quarterback run where the defense had to decide, are they going to stay home on Jason Bean, or are they going to go out and play their technique as normal? On that first opportunity, they didn't. That guy stayed home with Bean, and then there was great edge blocking, so Lachlan was able to basically just walk into the end zone. So I like it that it's not just simply, you know, this this staff is not going to bang their head on the ground trying to, to prove to the fan base and prove to the team that this is the style they're going to play, and they're trying to win. And I really, really appreciate uh, the coaching effort that we've seen so far this season because I think early in the year – we're accustomed to seeing coaches come in and say, this is our style. I know we're not good at it right now, but we need to just keep practicing it. They're saying, this is what we wanted to do. It isn't working. We're going to try something else. So I appreciate them really committing to trying to win football games and trying to be competitive. Tory Lachlan has been such a cool story over the course of this season. A guy who came in as a quarterback, was listed as a receiver on the first two deep. Now he's a running back. Uh, how have you seen his game progress, and what did you think of his performance against Duke? I loved it. You know, I saw him a couple times in the fall camp, and he impressed me every time. He just had – and he wasn't even playing running back. He was playing wide receiver. He just had a knack for getting open. He had a knack for blocking. You know, the first time I noticed him last year was covering kicks. You know, being a guy running down the middle, something I really, really enjoyed doing as a player, seeing him kind of have that same kind of commitment. So there's really nothing they can – that they will ask him to do that he's not good at. And it's great to have players like this because one of the things that, you know, stunts the growth of young teams, teams trying to rebuild, is having one-trick ponies, guys that can only play in one spot. This guy's been at the two deep at three different positions over the course of his career and is probably our best player at covering kicks. His future is bright as it's ever been, and I think Kansas is lucky to have guys like that. We need to find some more of them. When you look at how explosive the offense has actually been over the course of this season, thinking back to some of the big runs by Jason Bean or some of the long downfield passes over the course of the season, they've actually been pretty explosive at getting those those long plays. It's been the plays on, you know, if you have a minus two-yard run on first down and having a two-yard play on, on second down, that it hasn't been as consistent this year, at least until the Duke game. So knowing that you got maybe more of the, the basic plays, so to speak, where you were getting positive gains and you've already accomplished showing that you can be an explosive offense, do you think that's a recipe that we're going to see a strong offensive unit the rest of the season? I do, and I think they're they're making progress in little ways and aren't entirely noticeable. One of the things that killed Kansas in that, you know, when, when the onslaught started to happen offensively was that they had that sideline catch by Trevor Cardell, which I think was a catch and was never reviewed. And then the next play on third down, we threw an incomplete pass and had to punt. 
And that was right in the thick of where we really needed a sustained drive to rest the defense and a score of some sort to kind of stunt the momentum. And having that play taken away from us and not reviewed was the strangest anything I've seen. But I think they're making progress in little ways to continue to be competitive, to continue to make uh, plays that move the chains, that complement you know, what they're able to do, you know, in the explosive game. And also limiting negative plays. It just had a lot less. You know, they had the big boot where Bean lost about 17 yards, and that was unfortunate, but it's a chance you take with his type of speed. But other than that, they didn't have a ton of negative plays. They didn't have a ton of sacks. So I think they're making progress, you know, step by step. And these guys are just probably getting to a regular practice amount you know if you can if you take spring and fall they're probably just now getting towards caught up to where other programs are in terms of having an opportunity to be in the system and know what's going on i think you're seeing the, the ramifications of that on the field the defensive side of the ball had a struggle against that duke offense uh, what do you think has led to, because after week one in South Dakota, we thought this defense might be the better of the two units. It feels like that's started to switch the other way now. So what what has led to some of these recent struggles for the defense, and how correctable do you think are they over the course of this season specifically prior to getting to the offseason? I, uh, I think it's linebacker play. And I don't – I'm not going to say it's not fixable. I'm going to say it's unlikely that it's fixable. Um, they're playing about six guys. And if they had other guys that they thought would be a good fit, they'd be playing them. So I think they just have what they have at that position. And the problem has just been not being able to get off block, you know, missed tackles, you know, not reading things cleanly and opening up some big gaps. What I do think happened last week was you saw Rich Miller move to the inside, the Mike linebacker. So the guy that's making the calls and playing in the middle of the field, and they kind of move Potter to the strong side linebacker. So he's more of the outside over number two doing some more things in space now it didn't help potter a ton you know he was his performance level is about the same but it helped rich miller a lot because he was everywhere um I, he had a really strong game and it wasn't just simply well somebody's got to make the tackles i think he was making important tackles um he had that play where he ran up and, and got the quarterback on a on an important third down early in the late in the second half or excuse me late in the first half so I think they really found something with Rich Miller. I think that Taiwan Berry Hill is just a guy that's just young, you know, and, and trying to figure it out. But you can see him making strides. He's strong. He's athletic. Um, you know, he doesn't see it as well all the time, but you can see him making little progress. So I think that the guys they have are the guys that they have, and we just need to see incremental improvement from that group. But ultimately, that group is putting strain on the safeties in the run game, you know, because the safeties are having to play in the box to help them. And then in the in – the, in the boot game, the defensive ends are having to do kind of the same thing. You see Kyron Johnson and Hayden Hatcher were just all over the place. And I think a lot of it is, you know, they feel like they need to do that. So I think it's a group that has, that's the group that struggled the most, the linebacking group. And I think they found something real with Rich Miller. Now it's just a matter of can these other guys start to keep, keep improving, you know, keep finding ways to get better and help out the surrounding elements. Because I do think the defensive line has been very good. I do think the defensive backs have been solid, had a good game last week for the most part. Um, so I do think there's positives on the defense. It's just a whole group that I think has just been uh, performing poorly over the last few weeks. And I, there are some bright there are some bright signs, and I think they'll hopefully they'll continue. As a, a guy who's been in those locker rooms and you know joshed around with other players, how much crap do you think Romello Dotson got this week from his teammates for getting run down by a quarterback? I don't know. I don't know what their <laughs> culture is like that. 
all I can speak for is myself, and he would have had a rough couple weeks <laughs> um, if I was in the locker room with him. But I think they're more like, you know, they're a positive group. And, and like I said, they're still getting to know each other too, and they're still trying to find a way to win football games. And um, I'm sure they're happy he forced a turnover, happy that he made something out of it. You know, you would have liked to see him score. But I think they were very excited on the sidelines and, and ready to explode, you know, kind of do some more stuff like that. And they were able to force a turnover. Uh, later in the game as well. But I think it's an active group, and I, I thought Romelo Johnson played great in that game. So uh, if it was me, definitely. But I don't know. <laughs> you know. Their group is a little bit different, and you know we're just ready for those guys to, to keep improving. We're talking with Brandon McAnderson here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. The opponent tomorrow is Iowa State, who is a really good football team, despite not being ranked, two losses, two ranked teams, and they out-yarded both of them in the losses. Is there anything that you've, in preparation for this game, seen that Iowa State does that's going to give Kansas the most fits? And is there anything that you think maybe Kansas could have their most success doing? Yeah, I think this will be the the best back they face. Uh, Brees Hall is excellent. Good in the open field, good power. I think he's, you know, their offensive line hasn't played great. I think they said he's uh, taken on contact within one yard, I think more than any back in the league, which is strange, you know, considering how strong their offense is. Uh, But he's a good back, and he's going to be the toughest guy we face. Um, Their tight ends are huge, and our safeties are small. So I think that's going to be a matchup that's going to give us some problems. And our linebacking core, um, you kind of lump them in with that tight end matchup. It's not a great matchup for us. Um, but what we're able to do to on offense, I think, will translate. We got to spend a lot of time with the football. You know, we got to sustain drives and in those in those drives and touchdowns to kind of give this defense a break because this is, like you mentioned, just an elite offense. However, they will turn the ball over. You know, that's something that Brock Purdy, when they don't win, he turns the ball over. So if Kansas wants to win, they're going to have to get pressure, and they're going to have to take advantage when the opportunities are there to, to get picks, to strips, to fumbles, that sort of thing. Um, so I do like you know, what our offense should be able to do in terms of matching up with them pretty well and, and kind of producing some of the things, same things we've been able to produce. It will be a very, very tough, deep team. Uh, but you know, I like our chances on offense and on defense. You know, things break right, but this could be a game that we're in, uh, hopefully into the fourth quarter. All right, you ready for some game picks this week? Yes, sir. All right, you uh, eleven and nine on the season. You in in college football. You were four and one last week. So big week for you. We'll see if you can keep it up. Wow. Yeah. Number eight, Arkansas at number two, Georgia. The Bulldogs are giving up eighteen points. I like Arkansas to uh, to beat that spread. Number fourteen, Michigan is on the road against Wisconsin, who's unranked. But the Badgers are the one giving up the two points. I like Michigan. Number seven, Cincinnati at number nine, Notre Dame. The Bearcats are giving up two points. Mm. I like Notre Dame. I think that's interesting. Did you ever have a game where you had to go up against, like, uh, the Cincinnati defensive coordinator was with them last year, and then he takes the job at Notre Dame. Now he's their defensive coordinator. Did you guys ever have to go up against uh, some situation like that where a coach left to another school? No, but I did have PTSD thinking about that when uh, John Gruden went to the Buccaneers and they smashed my Raiders in the Super Bowl. Um, <laughs> what, that, what their overall familiarity with everything that we did, and it just ended up being such a disaster. So I imagine that Notre Dame will be as prepared for Cincinnati as they are for any team in the country, and that, that shouldn't, uh, shouldn't bode well for the Bearcats, especially with all the talent Notre Dame has on defense. 
All right, number 12, Ole Miss is at number one, Alabama. The Crimson Tide are giving up 14 and a half. Man, who knows? <laughs> I mean, God, I thought Alabama was going to smash everybody. Then they almost did. Then they almost lost. Uh, who knows? Ole Miss is good on offense, but I'll stay Alabama. Number 21, Baylor is at number 19, Oklahoma State. The Cowboys are giving up three and a half. That one sounds like it's going to be a bloodbath. It's going to be a lot of, a lot of uh, banging in that one. I'm going to go with uh, Baylor. Yeah, I think the best bet there is taking the under. Uh, NFL, you are 8-7 and seven on the year. First up, Carolina at Dallas. The Cowboys are giving up four and a half. Mm, I like the Panthers. Arizona is at the L.A. Rams, who are giving up four points off their big win over the Buccaneers. I like the Rams. Baltimore is playing Denver in mile high. It is a pick em. Mm, I'm going to pick up Baltimore. Okay. Uh, your Raiders are taking on the Chargers on Monday Night Football. and It's in L.A., but Derek Carr says it's actually a home game for us. The Chargers are giving up three points. It is a home game for us. I'm going with my Raiders. <laughs> and then, uh, I mean, hey, Raiders have been uh, – Great so far this season. Last one, the Chiefs are in Philadelphia. They're giving up seven points. Man, the Chiefs, I went to that Chiefs, that Chargers game. The Chiefs were way better than them. They just made so many mistakes. I think they'll be way better than the 49ers, too. I think the Chiefs will cover. All right. That is the game picks with BMAC. You can hear him on the call tomorrow, 6 o'clock. KU Iowa State pregame starts at 430 right here on KLWN. BMAC, thank you so much for the time, and uh, have a good weekend. All right, thanks for having me, bro. All right, that was Brandon McAnderson, former KU Orange Bowl winning running back, member of the Jayhawk Radio Network. Uh, 4.30, pregame starts on KLWN, kickoff at 6 o'clock on 105.9 KISS, our sister station, pregame at 5.30, kickoff at 6. But we're also going to have extended uh, little festivities with our station. So from 3.30 to 4.30 tomorrow, go out to Jefferson's West. That's the West location. Adam Dravetta, Scott Chasen are going to be there doing an hour pregame show, a pregame for the pregame from 3.30 to 4.30. They're going to have the KISS crew there with the prize wheel that you can spin with free stuff like t-shirts tickets to certain events and i think they're gonna have free uh fried pickles cards from jefferson's so you're gonna get like free appetizers it's also dollar off appetizers at jefferson's tomorrow so going out 3 30 to 4 30 kiss crew will be there 3 30 to 5 30 you can watch the ku iowa state game that's at jefferson's west tomorrow i'm Derek johnson with adam dravetta this is rcst on fm 1017 at 1320 klwn depend on it Welcome back in. Four o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320KLWN.com KLWN as well. Michael Swain of Cyclones Alert and 24-7 Sports going to join us at 445 to talk about Iowa State. A traitor, mind you. Yeah. He used to cover the Jayhawks. He did. He he used to work for Fog.net with Scott Chasen, and now he works for Iowa State, so we're going to catch up with Michael. But always has a soft spot in my heart. My heart. He is from the Bay Area. He is a Giants fan as well. Uh, so, love catching up with Michael. Top of the 5 o'clock hour, Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks, is going to join us. And we'll talk some K football, KU basketball. He'll be on the call tonight for the ESPN Plus broadcast of Late Night in the Fog. By the way, high school football tonight on our airwaves on KLWN. We'll have Lawrence High. And uh, I don't even know who they're playing. They're playing Shawnee Mission Northwest on the road. And Free State will be playing Mill Valley, who just beat Lawrence High. Kevin Romery, Craig Hershiser will have the Free State call. 
over on 92.9 The Bowl, bowl929.com. And for Lawrence High, it'll be called by Matt Llewellyn and Hank Booth. They'll be on the road. And you can hear that one on KLWN, KLWN.com. We have, as always, for both, have A10 Varsity streams that you can watch and listen to both. All right. Cole Butar, Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson, all in studio. And Adam and Cole are going to be having your high school pregame show here on KLWN from 6 leading up to that LHS coverage. So got them in early. We're going to do our game picks here. I am 18-7 and seven on the year right now in overall. Or no, I'm sorry. That's, that's the wrong number. 13-7. and seven. Couldn't read. In college football, three and two last week. BMAC is eleven and nine, by the way. Cole, you're three and seven in college football. You gotta get your record up. Adam, you are zero and zero. So what you do this week is a hundred percent of your output right now. First up for the game picks this week, we'll go in order. We'll let uh I'll let Cole take the first one. Adam, then you'll go, then I'll finish it off. All right, first up, first game. Number eight Arkansas is on the road against number two. Georgia and Georgia has given up 18 points. Jeez. Um 18 is a dang big margin. Um I'm going to I'm going to go Arkansas. I think that that is not a game that I would be willing to put money on Georgia winning by 18. That's that seems like a, a little too much for a game that maybe really it shouldn't be that confident. Adam um, I, uh, as much as I do like this coach, uh, this new guy at Arkansas has gotten off to a much, much hotter start than I thought he would. And he's kind of a guy to keep, keep an eye on against, uh, Eli Drinkwitz, Lane Kiffin, Mike Leach. They all kind of started in the SEC around about the same time at their respective schools. I really like him, but I think Georgia is really good. I think they're going to win the national championship. I think this is the year they get past Alabama. I think it's Georgia's year to really just clobber everybody. So give me Georgia and the points. Or, I mean, uh, laying the points. Yeah, I think one thing that's interesting here is, if you remember last year, obviously not a ton of a fans in attendance um, to games, whether it was limited capacity or, you know, how severely that was. Obviously a little less so in the SEC. But I think that makes going on the road for the first time in 2021 even harder just because it's that maybe added shock value. This is Arkansas's first true road game. Last week's game against Texas A&M was on a neutral site. Uh, I think Georgia's getting them at kind of the perfect time. You're coming off two big wins over A&M and Texas, who uh, I don't think A&M is that good, so I don't put too much value in that win. Um, I, I definitely think Arkansas's a ranked team. Are they number eight? No, I don't think so. I think they're close to being the 15th to 20th best team in the country, and I agree with you. Georgia is an absolute powerhouse right now. They have maybe the best defense in the country. I kind of view this game as Arkansas is going to hit them in the mouth because they're really good on the line of scrimmage, and they're going to keep it close early in the game. And then it's going to be a seven-point game at halftime. Georgia's going to get a couple big plays in the second half, pull away. They'll win by 21, 24 points. So I'll take Georgia uh, to win the game in that one. Number 14, Michigan at Wisconsin. The Badgers, despite being unranked, getting creamed by Notre Dame last week, are giving up two. Oh, I mean, you got to go Michigan, man. I, you got to go. I, I can't imagine picking Wisconsin here. I mean, Michigan, I think, is maybe a little uh, overranked for how they've been performing this year, but I, I think they're a significantly better team than Wisconsin. Yeah, if, I mean, if, if you disagree with that take, you're going to have to disagree with both of us because I'm, I'm on Michigan as well. I, I think Harbaugh... If they lose this game, this is I, I know that they, they gave Harbaugh an extension but cut his salary in a manner of speaking. 
but if they lose this game, they're really going to be questioning themselves. I, I'll take the, the Wolverines. Um, I mean, I want to go with almost former KU head coach Jim Harbaugh, but I can't. I, I think Michigan's the better team, but there's something about this line. Sometimes Vegas puts out these lines where it's like, what? Why is Wisconsin, who already has two losses, facing an undefeated Michigan, they just got blown out by Northern... Why are they favored? It doesn't make sense to me. So I'm going with Wisconsin, and I did a little more research on this. Wisconsin does not give up rushing yards. That is like the one thing that Michigan does well in offense. They do it at an elite level, but Wisconsin is the best run defense in the in the entire country right now, even despite some of their struggles elsewhere. Graham Mertz, the Kansas City kid, a quarterback, has been really bad. Uh, maybe he kind of reverts it here. Wisconsin has played really well and won a lot of the most recent games in Camp Randall Stadium against Michigan when it's been played here. So I'm going to actually go with Wisconsin. I'm going to trust Vegas because maybe they know something. Mertz also has that TB12 swag. He's got an NIL deal with TB12. Does he really? Yeah. I didn't even know TB12 was giving out NIL deals. Yeah. It's very interesting. Well, he's going to get a pulled if he keeps playing like he did last week. Number seven, Cincinnati is minus two at number nine, Notre Dame. I, I love Cincinnati. I um, think that college football is in a constant cycle of thinking Notre Dame is a real football team and uh, <laughs> believing that Notre Dame is on the same level as like other top 10 college teams in the nation. I just don't think they are. Uh, even, you know, they, they'll make it to the playoffs and get creamed or something. So uh, I think even if Notre Dame wins, morally, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to choose against them. Uh, well, you're, you're probably on the same page. I know, Adam, you hate Notre Dame. I I don't know if you're going to bet that way, though. I don't know if hate is the right word. I, I think their fans think they're, and, and, the, and nationally they're viewed as far more than perhaps what they are. They had a stretch of about 15 years where they didn't even win a bowl game. Um, you know, it, it was, it, it got pretty bad. I actually think, I mean, I don't care for Notre Dame, but I really think Brian Kelly's a very good coach. Um but I, I also think Cincinnati is getting them as a, at a really good time, even though Wisconsin isn't a particularly good team. That was a huge game for Notre Dame. It was marketed, uh, you know, broadcast nationally, played in Chicago. That was a huge, huge deal. Um, so give me give me the, the Big 12 team, Cincinnati. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to make a sweep here. I'm going with Cincinnati for the Big 12 Alliance. Um, Cincinnati also was off a of bye week. So, and this has been their Super Bowl really all season long. Like, they knew coming into the year, they circled this one because they said, if we go undefeated and we can win at Notre Dame and Notre Dame's good again this year, that's our chance to make the playoffs. So, they've had this circled. And Marcus Freeman, that's what scares me. He was the D.C. at Cincinnati, went over to Notre Dame. It scares me a little that they're going to know what they're doing. But uh, I'm going to go with Cincinnati minus two. I, Desmond Ritter was my preseason Heisman pick, and uh, they got to win this one for that to happen. Number 12, Ole Miss is at number one, Alabama. The Crimson Tide are giving up 14 and a half. I uh, bet against Alabama uh, when they played Florida, and I felt justified in that. No, uh, it worked out. Yeah, so yeah. I think I'm going to go for that again. Uh, Alabama's obviously super, super good, but I think that the gap is just not as wide as some of these lines seem to think it is. Uh, Alabama is still my national championship pick uh, for context, but I just don't think that they are – you know, 20 points better than than some of the other ranked teams like they have been in previous years. Um, I really like Ole Miss too. I, I if I know this is this is looking more macro than micro, but I, as kind of a hot take, I don't think Saban. I think Saban's done winning national titles. I think he's he's I think he's out of them. Um, 
But regarding this game, I, I do like Ole Miss. So I went back and forth on this because Ole Miss has an elite offense. They're going to be able to put up points. And last year, the team that actually played Alabama the toughest was Ole Miss. And that was before they've really got it going this year. And I remember after the game, I, I forget the name of the, the Alabama linebacker. He's in the NFL now. Um, said Ole Miss knew our signals. They knew our signs because Lane Kiffin was the former offensive coordinator. Alabama, on one hand, I would say, okay, well, they're going to know their signs again. On the other hand, it's impossible for me not to think that Nick Saban doesn't go. We're just going to completely, you know, I, I remember there was a story, Mike Leach, when he was the offensive coordinator at, I want to say, Oklahoma. And the Red River rivalry. Yes, when he, when he left a playbook a, a fake, or a fake something. Game plan. Yeah, yes, and he plan. left it on the Texas sideline, and one of the coaches picked it up and was like, oh, we have their game plan. We know what they're doing. And it was fake. It was all fake. I have a feeling like Nick Saban's going to do something like that and just kind of tease Ole Miss. And I don't know. I, I think I'm going to go with Alabama. Um, if Ole Miss, their defense isn't like that good. So if Alabama stops them at all on offense, I don't see a way that they're going to stop Bryce Young and company. So I'm going to go with Alabama minus the 14 and a half. Number one tw- or t- number 21 Baylor at number 19 Oklahoma State. The Cowboys are giving up three and a half. Man, I really didn't expect this from Baylor coming into the year. Mm. Uh, so it's still, a, I'm still suffering maybe from like some preseason bias where I'm looking at Baylor and still not really knowing what I see. Uh, still not really understanding if this is a team that is ranked out of circumstance, which happens so often, or if this is a team that deserves to be here. On the other hand, when I watch Oklahoma State, I do feel like they deserve to be there. So. It's just really confusing. I'm not saying that Baylor is actually a worse team. I'm just saying I really can't figure out uh, where they belong. But I do have a pretty solid grasp of Oklahoma State. So I think I'm going to go with Oklahoma State here because Baylor, to me right now, is like an enigma. I'll go the other side. I I like Baylor. I actually think they're getting better as the season goes on. Uh, the, The two questions I ask is the teams they're supposed to beat, what are they looking like against them? They smoked Kansas. Had had Baylor had that win against Iowa State, but then it, the week before it only beaten Kansas by a touchdown, I think all right they just got up for the Iowa State game. But the fact that they beat or they beat Kansas in the way you would expect a ranked team to beat Kansas, they turn that around. They get a home win against Iowa State, who I think still, you know, I think they're unranked now, but deserves to be a top twenty-five team. Um, I like Baylor, and, and if they're getting points, which I, I believe they yeah, are, three and yeah, a half. give me Baylor and the points. Yeah, so I, I think Oklahoma State wins the game, but I'm going to take Baylor with the points because this has been Oklahoma State this year. They play close games. Last week against Kansas State was the one game that it wasn't ultra close. It was decided by 11 points. And it was pretty easy. All they had to do was put eight or nine in the box. Yeah, because Skylar Thompson out there, just, it completely changed what Kansas State could do. But the other three games for Oklahoma State this year, you're talking about a one-score win over Missouri State, an FCS school, a one-score win over Tulsa, who I think is one and three, and a one-point win against Boise State. And Boise State's a good team. It was on the road in the blue turf, which is tough to play, but they got kind of a fluky win there. So Oklahoma State plays close games. They've got a really good defense. I just don't think they're going to pull away. Baylor's got a good defense. I think it's a low-scoring game. I think it's a close game. Oklahoma State to win, but Baylor... I think covers the point. Let me give my uh, lock of the week real quick. I'm three and one on the year. Bounce back from the first week loss. I'm going to go with Boston College plus 14 and a half against Clemson. I think a lot of people are figuring, oh, Clemson just lost. This is a great bounce back opportunity for them. 
I don't think Clemson is the type of team this year that is just automatic. Hey, when you lose a game, they're going to bounce back. I don't think they're that good. The offense is really bad. Boston College can put up points. Boston College might be the ACC's best bet at getting into the playoff if they can go undefeated. If you look at the schedule, if they get through this one, they're going to be favored in every other game. So I'm going to go with Boston College plus the 14 and a half. All right, on to the NFL. I am 10 and 5 on the year, 2 and 3 last week. BMAC 8 and 7. Cole, you're 5 and 5. Adam, again, 0 and 0. First up, Carolina Panthers at Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys are giving up 4 and a half. Yeah, um,. Carolina is a Carolina is the NFL equivalent to me of the of Baylor. I, I can't figure out if they're good or not. I'm a Saints fan, so I watched that Saints game. Um, and, also, Matt Rule, the head coach, who was at Baylor, and they performed uh, really well in the Saints game. But the Saints were missing um, eight starters and another eight coaches that game. So you sort of you sort of think you know on both sides of the ball. So you sort of wonder, well, was that a, a real indication of how strong the Saints are? And then the other two wins have kind of been cake. So I think I'm going to go with the Panthers because Darnold does look good. But it's it's a weird thing. I'm really not convinced they're awesome, but I do think that they can win. Give me the line once more. Four and a half. Dallas giving it up. And this is game. This game is where it's in Dallas. Yeah, give me the Cowboys. Mm. I really am high on on the Cowboys. I, I think this is, uh, you know, I, I think um, Dak Prescott feels like he has a lot to prove. I think Mike McCarthy feels like he has a job to save. I, I really like Dallas. I, I don't know. You know, I could very well see them going twelve and five and thirteen and four and disappointing in the playoffs <laughs> when they run into a team with a better quarterback. Um, but until then, I really like the Cowboys. I do too, but I'm going to go with Carolina. Um, I really like the Panthers' defense, and though I think Dallas wins the game, the four and a half points, I feel like this is actually going to be a close game. Um, even in Dallas's uh, first couple of games, they were really close games. You know, the Bucks game was close. The win over the Chargers was close. Carolina is a good team, and I'm expecting at this point the Panthers to make the playoffs. They have kind of an easy schedule to get there, but the defense is good. They've got good weapons around the quarterback. I know no Christian McCaffrey for this game, but I think they can hang in there at the very least with the Cowboys, so I'll take the Panthers plus the 4.5. Arizona is at L.A. Rams. Battle of 3-0 teams in the NFC West. Rams are giving up four points. Yeah, 100% the Rams. I think they're uh, the second-best team in football right now. Um they're amazing. Matt Stafford's amazing. Just beat up the Bucks. They, they have uh, Ramsey playing a made-up position, uh, and he's <laughs> the best defender uh, who's not Aaron Donald. Who, we don't uh, talk enough about the fact that the Rams have a guy named Ramsey on their team. We should talk about it yes. all the time. I mean, we're talking about it they now. They should retire his jersey just on the basis <laughs> yeah. of that. Um, but I love Jalen Ramsey. I love Aaron Donald. I love everything that the Rams are bringing this year. Uh, I honestly am surprised that it's not more like seven uh, or seven and a half. Cardinals have been good, like though. That. Cardinals have had a good offense. I yeah. think the Cardinals have been, uh, you know, the Cardinals almost lost to the Vikings, right? Like, like that's. The- and they kind of slept walk through the Jaguars game last week. Yeah, I mean we'll those, at the end. those are the, those are their last two games, right? The the Vikings where yep. they only won because the Vikings kickers are cursed eternally, <laughs> um, and they probably sh- should have lost to the Jaguars for giving up a kick return in a pick six, right? So it, it's really a situation where I, I think I got to go Rams because I think they're the best or second best team in the NFL. 
I agree completely on that belief uh, with the Rams. I, I think um, certainly one of the top four teams in the NFL, I would have them. I don't know if two, one or two, but they're really good. I think the Cardinals are much more of a legitimate, this is going to sound odd because you are what your record says you are, but I think the Cardinals are more legitimate as a 3-0 and team than a team like the Broncos. Yes. Um, but, man, I, but I'm they're gonna, not a 3-0 and as the Rams. I'm going to... I agree, but I'm going to go back to what you said earlier about one of the college games, man. This feel because it feels like it should be seven. I'm going to go with the Cardinals because I feel like it. Vegas just knows something. Exactly. Yeah. That's my that's my thought. So I'll will take the four and a half, or is it four even or four and a half? It's four even. Yeah, give me four in the Cardinals. I'm going to go with the Cardinals as well. Uh, more in the line of the Rams are coming off. I mean, at this point, that's. Biggest win of the season. You beat the defending Super Bowl champions, the Bucs, and you didn't just beat them. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a blowout or anything, but you handled them very well. You were in control of that game pretty much from start to finish. You win that game by double digits over the Buccaneers. Could be a bit of a letdown. And, you know, the Cardinals, as, as much as you do have questions about the defense outside of Chandler Jones because he's a fantastic pass rusher, I see this being a very high-scoring game that ends with whoever has the ball last. And I think it's going to be the Rams but I think it's going to be a close game, so I'm going to take the four points with Arizona, and Cliff Kingsbury does a lot better early in the season, so I'll say they dial something up. Maybe they slept walk through the Jaguars game last week because they were saving stuff on film for this specific game. And if you can sleep, and I know that Jacksonville's terrible, but in the NFL, if you can sleepwalk and still win by 12 points, you're Impressive, a yeah. All right, Baltimore at Denver. This is a pick em. Man, uh... I think Denver's legit. I do think Denver's legit. Um, Teddy, I, I've always thought, even last year, that their defense was, like, top-tier uh, NFL defense. The problem was last year they had Drew Locke, who thought he was Brett Favre and was actually, like, Vinny Tester Verde or something. Right? Well, he's, like, all the bad of Brett Favre without the good of Brett Favre. <laughs> <laughs> and it, so, I mean, now they have a quarterback who just doesn't make mistakes. That's always been the selling point of Teddy Bridgewater. Maybe he didn't pan out as well last year for Carolina, but the selling point of Teddy Bridgewater when he was on the Saints and then when he you know, got the contract to go to Carolina was he doesn't make mistakes and you don't lose games because he doesn't throw them away. And I think that the Denver defense is good enough that that's all that they really needed from the quarterback, and that's why Teddy Bridgewater has been so good this year. I think Teddy Bridgewater has actually overperformed this, like, uh, field general per, uh, persona that maybe I put on him in the preseason. Um, so I'm going to go with Denver. I think it's going to be – oh, sorry. Uh, what's the point spread? Pick him. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Then Denver, yeah. Uh, what do we know about Lamar Jackson? Is he playing or what's the situation? Last I saw, he's still questionable. Um, after the he, he had a full Friday practice, though. I'm All right, then, then that probably means he's playing. I'm going to lean uh, toward Baltimore. Um, I, I – yeah, I'm just uh, that's all I'll say. I I think Baltimore, especially if Lamar Jackson's playing, I don't think they are head and shoulders above. Um, you know, I think that it took a lot of, of things going their way for them to beat Kansas City. So I don't think they're head and shoulders above Denver, but I think it they're relatively close. Um, I think John Harbaugh is is one of the four or five best coaches in the National Football League. Give me the better coach. You know, when the quarterbacks are even or close to even, give me the better coach, so give me the Ravens. I'll go with the Ravens as well, but this line scares me because I'll be honest. When I This is one of those where I'm like, what does Vegas know? Because I thought coming into the week, I saw this and went, 
you know, Denver's 3-0. They have the better record, but people aren't buying into them like that much, are they? Because you look at the teams they beat. They beat the, what, the Jaguars in week one. They beat the Texans either in week two or week three. I mean, it hasn't been an ultra um, impressive slate of wins for them. So I kind of figured, I thought Baltimore would be favored by three or four points. And this line scares me. But I'm going to go with Baltimore. Justin Tucker is going to kick like two 70-yard field goals in the high altitude. <laughs> All right, Las Vegas at L.A. Chargers giving up three points. Yeah, I, I really don't like Vegas. Uh, I think Vegas mm. is, I mean, you know, people you don't are. like the city or the team? Uh, I don't like the team. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't believe, I mean, yeah, like Derek Carr is probably playing to a level you would expect an MVP to play. But I, I don't think that that's going to hold up. So Derek Carr MVP conversation should stop like right now, please. Um, I, I just really don't think that that team is legit enough to win, you know, 12 or 13 games, which is I think what some people are thinking that they could win now. Um, the Chargers looked good last week. That's the fact. Uh, Keenan Allen looked good. Uh, Justin Herbert looked good. I think their defense looked better than it did in some in like some of the earlier weeks. So I think I'm gonna go with the Chargers here. Uh, with the Raiders, they went six and three last year, and I think finished eight and eight, mm-hmm. if I if, if I remember right. And so you could you could go one of two ways with that. You could say, wow, they really improved. They finished eight and eight. You know, improved from the previous season. Or you could say, wow, they really fell apart. Only finishing two and five. I think. Gruden is good enough as a coach to get them. I think they wind up whether or not whether it's not this year or a different year. I do think they make the playoffs as a wild card once or twice under John Gruden. Uh, but I think there, I think Herbert's a good quarterback. A, a, well, no, I think he's a really good quarterback, and I think the weapons are just too much. So I, I like the Chargers as well. You know what's interesting? Um, this is one of those games where, like, it's hard to scoreboard watch this early in the season, but you kind of have to now that you're the Chiefs and you're down two games. And despite the Raiders being the 3-0 and team, you might be rooting for the Raiders because it feels like the Chargers have more staying power if you're scoreboard watching. But then again, if you do root for the Raiders and they win, then they'd be 4-0 and and would have another really good win over a good Chargers team. And what would that mean? I, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Las Vegas. They've just been money so far this season, so... I guess I'll take them with the points. Last one, Chiefs minus seven at Philadelphia. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the Chiefs smoked the Eagles. I think that they're going to be coming out there angry, man. Uh, this is this is the definition of that, like you know, prove you're legit game, right? Uh, people have been uh, spreading doubts. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is showing sort of the worst side of those Brett Favre comparisons. Uh, but I think we're going to come out there strong. We're going to come out there angry. And we're going to try to, you know, drop uh, 40 points on their head. I really think that that's what the goal is going to be. Um, now, in terms of the Eagles offense, I'm utterly unconvinced by it at this point in the year. Uh, I think that um, the, court- the quarterback looks okay. But there's just... Too many first-round quarterbacks, man. Everyone's addicted to drafting first-round quarterbacks, uh, and statistically, not all of them can be good, right? Uh, that's sort of my general opinion on it. Yeah, I think we. I think I think I'm taking the Chiefs there. When was the last time Kansas City won a regular season game by a touchdown or more? Um, I'm not saying that 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 to me has something to do with this, but I yeah. don't know what. 
It was, I, I think we, I looked back at this earlier this week. It was like, it's been like 11 or 12 games since then, pretty it's, much. It, yeah. Regular this, season. This Andy Reid thing is either going to be, and they love Andy Reid, mm-hmm. so I, I do think there's high potential for it to be a coming together thing with what happened to Andy Reid. But I also think, that, I don't know that it's, it's uninspired, as far as the defense goes with the Chiefs, I don't know if it's uninspired football as much as this is just what they are. I think you are seeing exactly what happened. I think you're seeing the consequences of when a team says, we need everybody. We need everybody back. We need, you know, we need to, you know, we'll kick the can down the road regarding our salary cap issues. I think you're seeing a lot of the consequences of that, and I think this is a Chiefs team that could very well go 11-6 and six or 12-5. and five. But if you're um, going 11-6, you have to win this game. I the agree. Eagles are I, bad. But... I just I don't know if the Eagles put it this way. If the Chiefs come in and win this game and, and put me down for for the Chiefs to win it uh, and and take and lay the points, I think they win by by ten or thirteen. But if that happens, don't take that as a wow. This defense is back. I just don't know. This is just such a bad Eagles team. Um, and I think the Chiefs should win by double digits. But I think that has more to do. With the Eagles, I, I think you know. I think Patrick Mahomes is going to prove to be the greatest quarterback of this generation. Um, but I do think this is a year, and it's coming earlier than I thought it would. Um, but I just think we're starting to see the the we're having to reap what they what they sowed when they when they made all these massive contracts. I, I'm going to take the Eagles. Um, I just un, until the Chiefs show that they can win by multiple touchdowns. I'm going to go with the Eagles. Last thought, Cole. Yeah, I have a hypothetical for you. If the Chiefs win 35-7 to 7 or some like ridiculous margin like that, giving up very little points, does that change how you feel about that at all? It would depend on how they did it. If they just crushed them, then yes. If it's because of a lot of things like turnovers. Because I do think the Chiefs are due. I mean, when you look at some of the pro football focus numbers, turnovers kind of go 50-50. Um and so I think it might be time for the Chiefs to have a game where they, they are on the plus side of the turnovers by about three. If that's how they do it, then I'll be encouraged. I'm never going to just look at a 35-7 to win and go, that meant nothing. But if if the turnover differential is even and they still win by that much, then, yeah, I'll, I'll, really, be able, I'll really look at it differently then. He's Adam Dravetta, Cole C. DeButar. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome in. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. KU taking on Iowa State tomorrow. You can hear it at 6 o'clock. Pre-game starting at 4.30 right here on KLWN. A live pre-game show with Adam Dravetta and Scott Chasen will be out at Jefferson's West from 3.30 to 4.30, and the 105.9 KISS crew will be there from 3.30 to 5.30, giving away free stuff, and they have dollar-off appetizers and everything, so stop by there. But let's take a look at Iowa State. We obviously know that Iowa State is a good football team, but they've had a couple of early season stumbles, and they're big favorites in this game. So Michael Swain of 24-7 Sports joins us now on the show. Michael, uh, Iowa State starting 2-2 two and two after having these high expectations what has been the biggest thing that has led to this slow start for the Cyclones this year? It's so interesting because I think you look at Iowa State so far this season and the defense has been fantastic. I mean, they're in the top five in tool yards allowed, but I think it's been inconsistency on the offensive side of the ball. 
through the first two games of the season. And then you can look at some special teams issues really, really hindering Iowa State, kind of against Iowa and then against Baylor. You look at the two losses Iowa State's had so far this season, they've outgained their opponents, and they almost doubled up Iowa in yards in that Cyhawk game in the second week of the season against Baylor last week. Iowa State outgains them. Um, there's a tipped interception in the second half to kind of kill some of Iowa State's momentum. And then just as Iowa State scored uh, a field goal, Baylor returns a kickoff for a touchdown. And just in general, there have been kind of these one-off moments that have really kept Iowa State from hitting its stride this season. And you can ask fans, there's definitely a sense of disappointment so far this season because you expected Iowa State to be able to hit the ground running considering the fact you returned, you know, 20 of 23 starters. But they've not been able to do that so far, and they really do have to kind of get back on track and playing kind of that complimentary football that we've come to see Iowa State play. Is is the feeling around the team, uh, do you kind of get the sense that there's disappointment, that that could be worrisome for the rest of the year, that you know you came into a season with these high goals of winning the Big 12, maybe making the college football playoff, and all of a sudden now, uh, you know, the Big 12's still in front of you, but uh, the college football playoff at this point seems like it'd be almost an impossibility with us never seeing a two-loss team in there. Uh, does it feel like there's disappointment there, or does it, it seem like there's still a look ahead to, hey, we can still accomplish winning a Big 12 championship. Yeah, I think it's what you said there. That Their big goal of accomplishing a Big 12 title is still in front of them. They can still go out and do that. And I think that what we've seen from the Big 12 through you know the first four weeks of the season is this conference isn't super top-heavy. It's very much kind of a one big cluster. And then you've got kind of the likes of Kansas and Texas Tech maybe at the bottom. But I think for Iowa State, it's such an interesting program because I don't think that's the mindset. That getting disappointed is not how – I've not sensed that. I don't think that's how they handle things. I think for them it's all about kind of the overall growth process. And the interesting part is Iowa State's really struggled in September. It's been their worst month uh, of the Matt Campbell era by far. If you look at kind of all the months and their record stacked up. So I think for the players, you know, did they want a different start to the season? Yes. But have they been through this type of stuff before? Yeah. So I think you can bet on Iowa State to improve as the season goes along. I mean, if you can look at Iowa State's record in October. It's pretty insane how well they've played in the month under Matt Campbell. So I do expect them to play better this month and into November. But I do think from a fan's perspective, a lot of disappointment because there was a lot of hype and expectation of, hey, maybe this could be the season where you know you, you win the Big 12 title and you maybe compete for that playoff spot. Well, that's certainly kind of out of the picture in terms of the playoff, but there's still a lot there to be accomplished. I forget what the record is for Matt Campbell in the month of October these last two, three years, but I remember it being somewhere around like 10-1, and 11-1, and, and, and you're talking about wins in there over Oklahoma, ranked TCU. I mean, there's been some really good teams in there. And maybe this is kind of the opportunity to get right for Iowa State just from a, a record and momentum perspective. You're talking about Kansas this week. Then you take on Kansas State on the road, which will be a tough one, but you get a buy in between that. Oklahoma State is back home, who's been a good team, and then at West Virginia. Those are, you know, it's not going to be easy to go undefeated or anything in that stretch, but definitely not the most impossible thing to do there. Uh, does, does it feel like, you know, that, that same magic is going to be there? I mean, what in the past has led to those strong October months that you think they're going to have to rekindle here this year? Yeah, it comes down to the term Brocktober. And, you know, the new name, image, likeness stuff has allowed Brock Purdy to make some money off of that. 
And I think it does come down to his play. You can look at his starts to this season. I mean, look last year, you know, against Louisiana, he was really bad. And then they play Oklahoma and they have that big stretch there in October of last season where Brock Purdy really kind of turns it on. And so I think it does come down to finding a rhythm with the offense because that's been the big thing so far is Brees Hall got off to a slow start. He missed the final two weeks of their fall camp through getting banged up. Charlie Kohler, the All-American tight end, missed time during fall camp because of uh, an ankle injury. So you're looking at a team that didn't necessarily have a ton of momentum and, and fluidity going into the season, but it seems like now they're kind of getting that. And with this defense, the defense is going to keep them in games because it's just so dominant. It's incredible what they've been able to do this season and keep Iowa State in games that they really shouldn't be in. And I think that they'll be able to stay in the games, and it's just a question of can that offense find its rhythm and can the special teams not give up the one big play that then kills any sort of momentum that the team has gained. I know we talked about a month or two ago and talked about how in this series, there have been a couple close games. Last year, you know, it was a game that Iowa State was controlling and by the total yards was dominating, but all of a sudden Kansas returned to kickoff and it was 38-22 late in that game. Um, I think it was 31-24 in 2016. You have the game in 2019, the one that sticks out to me the most, where Kansas was up 31-27 to until a touchdown with like five minutes to go by Brock Purdy and Iowa State. Uh, so is there anything about this series that, that sticks out to you that makes you think that, hey, maybe Kansas can play a little more competitively here than you might think? Yeah, I think it does. It's interesting, too, because Matt Campbell raved about Lance Leipold this week. And Matt Campbell gives a lot of like the, the token, great challenge for us, blah, blah, blah. You know, he said... He called Lance Leipold a great hire, and he's got a lot of respect for him. They work together in the MAC, um, and so I think you look at Leipold and what I or what Kansas has tried to do so far, and I think they can maybe stay in this game for a little bit. You look at what the second halves have been like, though, for Kansas, and I think that's where things maybe could get a little tough. I do see Kansas maybe staying in the game early on, just because you look at the speed of Jason Bean, Devin Neal, um, guys like that, and Iowa State really struggled in the first half against Baylor with the speed that Baylor had, and Gary Bohannon. Tristan Ebner and those dynamic players. So I do see this as a game that, you know, maybe Kansas is able to keep it as a two score game at halftime, but I do think that the the experience and Iowa State's ability to kind of pound the rock, I think will maybe help them get out in front a lot more in the second half. But I do see this being a little bit closer at halftime than maybe some would expect. The Kansas offense really finally clicked, I think, the best they have all season long in the game against Duke. And one of the mm-hmm. the trends that has been happening for this KU offense has been, you know, they haven't always been able to get those, just the regular plays, the regular runs on first and 10, but they have been an explosive offense over the course of this year, whether it's Jason Bean going on a big run, Devin Neal hitting a big run, or Jason Bean throwing it downfield and Trevor Wilson making a great catch, that they have been pretty explosive. Is that something that Iowa State, likes to prevent and, and how have they done in that regard this season yeah they've been pretty good I, you know off the top of my head i can't really think of too many 20 plus yard plays that the team has allowed i do know that against baylor i think they had three rushes of 10 or more yards which was more than they had allowed all season leading into that game um they've done a really good job of limiting the big play i think you can look at iowa state defense as a past where down to down really really solid but the one big play can cost them but They've really done a good job of shoring that up this season. I do think that's where maybe the experience comes into play where, you know, you've got someone like Greg Eisworth at safety who's been around for almost 
you know, four years now, could be a four-time All-Big 12 guy. Mike Rose, defensive Big 12 player of the year. You know, they've got a lot of veterans now on that defense where I think it does allow them to be so good in terms of limiting the big play because they know where everyone's going to be, what the movement's going to be like on defense. So, uh, I'll be interested to see if Kansas is able to get some big plays because I do think they have the speed to maybe take advantage of that. And Iowa State is a little banged up at corner right now. Um, Daytron Young didn't play the last two games. He's their starting corner opposite of uh, the All-Big 12 guy, Anthony Johnson. So maybe that's a spot. They've got a sophomore starting there, TJ Tampa, who is okay against Baylor. But maybe you see Kansas try and attack that spot with Trevor Wilson or Maybe Lawrence Arnold, too. So I'd be interested to see if Kansas is able to get some big plays because that's not necessarily something Iowa State has struggled with this season. The spread, I think, opened at 33. Last I saw, it's up at 34.5. What are your thoughts on that number? I would take Kansas if it's anything over 33. Um, I don't th- I think Iowa State will end up at that kind of 30. 30- 538-41 number, and I do think that Kansas will be able to, at some point, get the ball moving, like you mentioned, with the explosive offense. So I would probably lean Kansas with the spread, and I also just, the special teams for Iowa State have just been so subpar this season that I'm just a little concerned if, you know, they have to punt or if there's kick returns. So I would probably lean Kansas with the spread on that. He is Michael Swain. You can check out all his work in 24-7 Sports with Cyclone Alert. Michael, thank you so much for the time as always. And, uh, yeah, I guess uh, we'll talk to you maybe during basketball season. Definitely. Sounds great, Derek. Always great to catch up. All right, that was Michael Swain of Cyclones Alert and 24-7 Sports joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Two hours down, one to go. Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks, joins us next at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. Five o'clock hour, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson, and joined now by the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, who is getting ready for late night tonight, heading out to Ames, I'm assuming, tomorrow morning, or I don't know if you're going straight after late night uh, for the game at Iowa State tomorrow, but busy weekend ahead for Brian Haney. Let's start with the late night and the fog stuff, uh, with that going on uh, tonight for KU uh, how excited are you for Run DMC coming in? <laughs> Do you know any of the songs? You know, I only know a few, to be brutally honest. It's it's funny, Greg and I, Greg Gurley, we're only about six years apart in age, but it's amazing the pop culture differential uh, that six years can make. And I, I tried to make a, a straight-up trade this week. My MC Hammer and Vanilla Ice, cassette tapes for his run DMC stuff and and we couldn't get the deals on you know I even offered to you know throw in some boys to men and stuff like that couldn't get it done but uh, I I'm gonna brush up uh, as I as I drive in here in a second and uh, listen to some tunes that are on the tip of the tongue but yeah this this is definitely one that uh, probably appeals to Greg more so than me but you know it's gonna be a good act and a lot of energy and and they've got clean lyrics and so we should have a good time tonight. I saw they have one song called My Adidas, which uh, that feels like an automatic that you have to play in an Adidas school. So I don't know if that, that went into them coming here at all or if maybe there's a connection there or something. Uh, but outside of Run DMC, outside of basketball, is there something you're most looking forward to in the festivities tonight at Late Night in the Fog? You know, I just think to be back amongst the fans and, and to have that type of energy in the building after having to do a virtual event last year and to have all the, the hope that springs eternal at the start of the new season for men's and women's basketball. But 
particularly this number two basketball team in the country on the men's side, a team that's as deep as, as any I've, I've seen under Bill Self. I mean, he's going to have three top 80 freshmen, you know, that right now, as I look at the depth chart, I'm thinking these guys are probably 11th, 12th, and 13th in the pecking order as the preseason begins, and, and they could start on some other Big 12 schools. So it's just crazy how loaded they are, how veteran they are at some spots when you talk about Jalen Coleman lands being a seventh year guy and it, it's just crazy to think uh, of the maturity and, and how because of that you've got a lot of uber talented young guys that are probably going to have a lot of pine time this year and, and just have to grow and learn and get better in practice every day and, and who knows how it shakes out maybe they wind up you know, denting that rotation higher on the list than, than it would look to be, uh, you know, on the outside looking in right now. But just to see how all those pieces start to be put into place and start to mesh together and how Coach Self goes about taking a team that loaded uh, and, and finds minutes for enough guys to keep them all engaged, that's going to be interesting. But, uh, you know, beyond the basketball, just, just the pageantry, and obviously Rob Riggle, I mean, doesn't get much better than having him as your uh, late night MC, and so excited to to see what he'll bring to the mix. I understand he has a pretty special introduction into how he's going to make his way onto the floor. So I can't wait to see what that looks like tonight. I think last time, what he came in on a on a chair being held up in the air. It, I mean, how do you top that? <laughs> no kidding. I don't know if he's going to have like wires to suspend him in the air like Garth Brooks <laughs> or something, but actually I do know what he's going to do, and it's not that, but I don't want to tip our hand mm. or anything. But uh, he's, he's such a great personality and such a tremendous ambassador for KU Sports because he genuinely is a huge fan. And so to watch the video they put out yesterday of him and Coach Self going back and forth and Coach acted surprised that Rob was going to host and then wanted to take credit for the idea, I thought that was pretty hilarious. <laughs> and I just think through the alpha cup stuff that you'll see tonight, that's just his shtick on top of some of the stuff they've filmed in advance as our rock chalk video crew does such a tremendous job. It should make for just an absolute blast and great entertainment throughout. So we're fired up and, and I'm, I'm uh, looking forward to seeing Brandon Snyder's women's basketball team as well. And I know they've got a lot of, Imported talent that uh, has, has some big-time promise and potential and some, some key returners that are looking to do even bigger things in the season ahead. So excited to talk to Coach Brandon about that, and we'll be working alongside Greg on the uh, ESPN Plus telecast. So it should make for a great evening. And as far as uh, the, the players themselves in the KU uniform, there's a lot of new guys this season. Is there, is there one, and two, one or two that – Maybe you're most interested in seeing what they look like in that KU uniform tonight, even though it's you know not really a, a structured game or anything. Yeah, you know it's it's obviously uh, always interesting to get to watch the scrimmage when Coach Self is standing next to you with the headset on because you're right it's it's not a structured practice it's just a pickup ball scrimmage and I always get a kick out of watching him fidget <laughs> when they make a, a bad pass or a bonehead play or whatever and 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 he'll say something under his breath or or he'll call it directly as he sees it and say it out loud but it's just kind of funny because I mean his tendency if he was watching a guy you know throw into a you know an obvious double team that gets picked off and it's running back the other way for an easy bucket he'd, he'd want to jump their their butt and, and get all over them about what 
were you thinking? And now he's got a headset on and he can't do that. So it's just <laughs> kind of funny to, to watch him. But for the most part, you know, he's super relaxed and, and excited to get it all underway. And of course, now they've, they've been with the guys so much more so prior to late night than you'd have in previous years. But uh, in terms of the individual players, I, obviously everybody wants to see Remy Martin when you average 21 a game and Pac 12 play a year ago and 19 5 uh, overall on the season to lead the Pac 12 conference. Everybody's fired up about him. Yesifu, so explosive down the stretch. I mean, 21, what was it, 23 a game down his final nine games coming down the stretch of last season. Fired up about him. And, and Jalen Coleman lands. I mean, I, I talked about the senior, super senior experience that he brings to the equation and the fact that he's been at Illinois and DePaul and Iowa State. And this is a guy that was a top 10 scorer in the Big 12 last year. People forget he was actually 10th at 14 a game. And he's got that that nearly automatic three-point stroke that when he launches it, you think it's going in. And on top of that, he's just a, a really impressive young man. We'll talk on telecast about some of the stuff he's doing with his own personal foundation, how many young men at his age are having those types of philanthropic and community ambassador aspirations. I've just been so impressed with him. So, yeah, I I think seeing the the transfers is probably my number one most intriguing thing. But like I mentioned, there's some really talented freshmen on this team, too. I just don't know, you know, what what it's going to look like rotationally. But, you know, fired up to see what Zach Clements and and, – K.J. Adams and Kyle Cuff and Bobby Pettiford will bring to the mix and excited to talk to to Coach about, you know, where he sees their current development and what needs to happen for them to find some sort of niche to be carved or role to be to be charted out for them because man when you look at it it's just such a loaded team and and the second five is is I don't want to say as good as the first five they aren't but but they're they're going to be competitive to where you know the the red teamers in practice some day are going to give the starters all they want and more and uh and so yeah I think this is going to be one of the more competitive preseasons in KU basketball history as guys fight for minutes and rotational spots. And, and that just, I think if you're a, a Hall of Fame head coach, who's almost been here for two full decades now, this has to, not that you need any rejuvenation, but this has to really get you fired up to see such an impressive blend of veteran and young talent and then try to figure out how the puzzle pieces all fit together. Uh, the coaching staff will certainly have their work cut out for them uh, in, in making sure that as many mouths are set as possible with minutes and, and shots and all that. But, but just to have such a loaded roster and to get to do the tinkering and the mixing and matching to, to see what works in that second unit and, and to bring those guys along in the third unit. I mean, this is crazy talking about, you know, top 60 guys that are you know not even in the front 10, uh, that, that to me is going to be really fun to follow. We're talking with Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks. Uh, on to football. KU falls to Duke last week, but offensively, I think a lot of positives coming away from that game. Uh, you showed some explosiveness. The offensive line really got it going with your running game. You put up over 30 points in the game. Uh, what was your biggest takeaway from KU's game against Duke on Saturday? Well, I think you hit on it. I mean, 530 yards total offense. You get the vertical passing game going. We were at Hawk Talk the week before, and a couple of the fan questions were, hey, you know, when are you going to take the lid off the top and really start to air it out? And it was in the playbook in the Baylor game. They just had so many stinking three and outs. They, they couldn't stay on the field and get to a 
portion of the field where you have more room to, to have some of those deeper drop backs. And so to see Jason Bean put it right on the money, 61 yards, you know, uh, to Tater, to Kwame Lasseter, to see some of those deep balls down the sideline to Trevor Wilson. And honestly, I don't know how you felt about it, Derek, but that catch by Trevor, it's, it's easily the most impressive catch I've ever had a chance to call. I think we've probably seen uh, like David Tyree and, and the Super Bowl Giants and Patriots back in the day, you know, a couple of catches that were better. He trapped his against his helmet in a slightly bigger game. Uh, but the body control, the strong hands, the focus, you know, pinning it against the back of the opponent and having one hand batted away so you move your other hand around, I mean, it was unbelievable. And uh, I, I didn't actually see what was the number one sports center play, but it must have been pretty dang good because I can't imagine much better than that uh, if it was number two. But, you know, that was great. And then obviously in a week that uh, we lose a running back to the transfer portal to have the guy that, that you used to cover in high school who was just such a, a bright, shining young star, so well-spoken and hardworking kid, and Devin Neal step up and deliver his first 100-yard game and have Tory Lachlan have his first two career touchdowns, you know, one by air and one by land, and, and that, that was great to see for him. So really excited for those two young men to have some breakout games, and, and for Trevor it was a breakout game, 122 receiving yards. And then how about Rich Miller defensively with the 14 tackles? His previous career high at Buffalo was five, so he was in on seemingly every play. Just really proud of, of some of those results. And, and yet you look back and you, and you see the shoulda, coulda, wouldas too. I mean, obviously, when you get an interception and you're sprinting down the sideline, we're all thinking pick six. And Romello Dotson, I think nine times out of ten, you know, finds a way to, to get past Holmberg and gets in the end zone. But when it's your first time bringing one back like that, you know, it's, it's kind of intimidating. I, I'm thinking back to Daniel Jones. Of, of, here's your second New York Giants reference in the same response. <laughs> but remember him a year ago when he had an 80-yard sprint to the end zone and he tripped over his own two feet? You get out there and you're on an island and you're, all of a sudden your, your breath's getting heavy and you're running out of gas. And then here comes a guy taking a good angle on you and you're looking back and you're slowing down. And unfortunately, he didn't make it. But I, I referenced that to say, Derek, that we didn't score after that on, on that takeaway. And so that's a seven-point swing. And then Devin Neal, I, I think later in his career, he runs away from those guys. And, and he scores. We don't have to settle for three. There's ten points right there you could have had if you finished those two big plays. And then maybe the biggest play of the game, after we go up 27-21, Gavin Potter has Holmberg in his grasp. And, and, and maybe if he goes in a little bit lower and, and takes him down around the midsection, uh, he's got a better chance. But he, he went in high, and they end up getting the pass off and busted for a big one that sets up 24 consecutive points by Duke. But if we get the sack and, and the drive halted there, who knows? You know, And I understand that's a lot of ifs and buts, but my point is they competed well enough that you can look back on two or three you know, key swings and say, man, this might have been a different outcome had we gotten a couple of more of those. You could not do that the previous week. When we got out, scored 31-zip in the second half at home to Baylor. So just to be that much more competitive – 
And to be nitpicking a few little things that could have been big swings in momentum feels pretty dang good. And as the play-by-play guy, and I know you can relate to this, doing Baker and, and great local high school calls that you always have, when you got that many highlight reel plays after a week in which we had virtually none the week before, man, that was like manna from heaven. So we had a ton of fun calling it. And hopefully we'll have you know more big plays tomorrow. But I will say this is easily our toughest opponent of the season to date. I know they just lost at Baylor, but look at who they bring back. Look at the experience. Talking about one of the most prolific quarterback-running back combos in league history. Multiple All-Americans on both sides of the ball. So much experience. they got one of the best coaches in the country. Uh, KU will certainly have their hands cut out for them at Iowa State. Yeah, I was was talking with Michael Swain, uh, who covers Iowa State, and uh, he reminded me the fact that they basically doubled up Iowa in yards when they played earlier this year, but they lost. They just had turnover issues. The Baylor game had a tipped interception, but they out-yarded Baylor in the game. They've just yep. kind of come up on the wrong side of a couple games. Yep. Um, as far as what you're looking for KU in this game, you know, I, I don't think it's as much about, well, can KU put up this many points or can KU keep it within this to deem it as competitive or anything like that. But just in terms of what you're looking for on a week-in, week-out basis and and what you're looking for this week, is there anything specific that you're just looking to come away from and say, you know, that was great to see once again? You know, you never want to feel like you don't have a chance to go up and win the game because just two years ago we went up there and it was 41-31 and much like the Duke game I just recapped for you, there were a handful of plays that could have broken the other direction and you win it. Um, but for me, it stinks for playing them coming off a loss because three weeks ago, this was the number seven team in the country. Okay, They haven't stopped getting good in, in that short amount of time. And you just chronicled the yardage differential in both the Iowa and Baylor games. They outplayed them in, in a lot of intensive purposes in both of those, and somehow they're two and two. So this is going to be a really daunting task. But I do think that you know if you can go up there and compete and sustain momentum somehow, whether you win or not, if you find a way to stay healthy, keep the good times rolling with some of those offensive guys that I just talked about that had breakout games, keep them feeling like their arrow is pointed upward. And it's, it's going to be hard to have Devin Neal go for triple figures against this Iowa State defense. It's going to be hard for... Jason Bean to complete some of the deep balls when you've got all Americans in the secondary for Iowa State, uh, you know, to complete some of those passes we saw versus Duke. So I'm not expecting the same types of fireworks and north of 30 points and 500 yards or anything like that. But if they can keep the arrow in general pointed upward, uh, next week, that's a game much more in your wheelhouse on your homecoming versus Texas Tech, who just gave up 70 to Texas. And that's not expecting anything or, or overlooking anyone, but I would think a good showing tomorrow, even if it doesn't come in a victory, would be you know momentum in all three phases of the game. Keep in mind you're going to be without Kenny Logan for the first half because of targeting in, in the Duke game, and so you lose your kick returner and, and one of your starting defensive backs. But uh, you know if, if you're able to tackle a little better defensively, uh, you know get those linebackers doing a better job with, with their, their first attempt at wrapping a guy up. If you're able to see the offensive line build off of its best performance of the season and have another big game uh, where you're at least getting guys to the second level in the run game and buying Jason Bean enough time to, to connect a little bit downfield. And I think the most demoralizing thing about our first league game was just all the three and outs 
we couldn't stay on the field, and so the defense was stuck on the field, and the defense got worn down. So to play more complimentary football and feel like whatever the final score is, you're leaving that game with a little more of an upswing than you did the Baylor contest. To do that, Texas Tech a week later, I think is one we should get fired up about, that we got a great shot because Kansas nearly went in there and beat them a year ago in what proved to be the last game of the season and and had them on the ropes in their house. And and, and I think we should have confidence heading into that one. But you want to sustain momentum and not be in one of those spots like we were coming off the Baylor game where you had to kind of rejuvenate and and manufacture some of that momentum after – kind of laying an egg in that home game. So I hope all that makes sense. And that I don't want that to sound doom and gloom either, because like I said, we went up there and nearly stunned them two years ago. So who knows what's going to happen. But but certainly there are, are, are much better spots to be in than playing a, a top 10 talented team that's now not ranked at all and spitfire angry about it coming off their second loss in the first month when they outplayed both opponents. So it's, it's definitely going to be a tall order, no doubt. He is Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks. You can hear him for that football game tomorrow, 6 o'clock, here on KLWN and our sister station, 105.9 KISS. You can also hear him tonight on the ESPN Plus broadcast for Late Night in the Fog. Brian, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day and uh, have fun on the calls tonight and tomorrow. Always a pleasure, my man. All right, I'm going to go brush up on some Run DMC, so maybe I can walk this way and get tricky here in a second. But thanks again. Always a pleasure, and we'll talk real soon. All right, that was the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk. The moment that I know I have been waiting for all week long, and not to talk the KU game or what's happening with the Chiefs this weekend, to unveil the list of the top 10 Gordons. Now, Josh Gordon just signed with the Chiefs earlier this week. He's not going to be able to play this week. Uh, he, he won't appear on this list. It's wait and see. You know, Josh Gordon, you win a Super Bowl. Okay, now we're talking. Um, some other honorable mentions as well before we get into this top 10 list of Gordons. Flash Gordon, superhero, but what have you done for me lately, right? It's been a while. Do something, anything recently. Uh, Gordon Matthew Thomas Sumner. If you don't know who that is, it is Sting. And if everybody knows you for a completely different name, like it's not like everybody called him Gordo. Everybody knows him at a completely different name. So does that even count that your name is Gordon at that point? So you're not on the list. It's kind of like, it's to use a similar example, my name is Adam. Most people famously know me as, hey, idiot, put on some pants. (laughs) Yeah, so you wouldn't appear in the top 10 Adams. Exactly. I think we know what would be number one on that Adam list. That's for sure. Uh, Gordon Gecko, also not on the list. He was a crook. Yeah, he was a bad guy. He was a famous bad guy. He was mean to Shia LaBeouf in the Mm. second Wall Street Money Never Sleeps movie. Yeah, I didn't care much for him. He was rich, though. He's very wealthy. But uh, he showed that wealth is not always always a good thing, good trait. So top 10 wealthiest Gordons, boom, you're there. Oh, easily. top, Probably top one or two. But not the top 10 Gordons. All right, on to the list. Number 10. 10th best Gordon, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Uh, 500 Days of Summer, Third Rock from the Sun, uh, most famously got his face bashed in by an ice skate in Halloween H2O. <laughs> Wait, what's the latest movie he's been in? Because that's why he's lower on the list. That's a good point. Uh, I feel like it's been years. The last thing I remember him being in was like Inception. 
and maybe was that and that Batman was 2010. Afterwards. Well, yeah, yeah, he he was Robin. He played the guy who became Robin. Yeah. Uh, in uh, in that movie, uh, Dark Knight Rises came out in 12. So that was more it's been a recent, long time, but it's been a minute, you know. So really good actor, and I'd love to see him in more stuff, but he hasn't been in a ton. So he's yeah. only in at number ten. Number nine on the list. Number nine. How a Bostonian says Gordon. Gordon. Gordon? Hey, Gordon. It's perfect. Gordon. Is that that's got to be one of the best names that you? Hear oh, that's so any say, right? any northeastern Gordon you're putting on this list. Uh, just how a Bostonian says it okay. specifically. I like that. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah. My God, what has he been in lately? It sounds brutalized, but it also sounds better. Does that make sense? You know who's better than Gordon? Tom Brady. (laughs) He is an unstoppable force of nature. All right. Number Number eight. eight, Speaking of Gordons in Boston, he's no longer there, but Gordon Hayward. Yeah, he he famously uh, missed a shot that everybody wishes he would have made. He would be higher on the list if he made it. Oh, but yeah, yeah, he'd be number one. Yeah, I think he'd have to be. But uh, but yeah, I mean, still a still a, a really good, uh, really good uh, cricket player. <laughs> he's he's making lots and lots of money. I mean, he's gonna end up with like over three hundred million dollars. Good for in him. His career. Number seven. Seventh best, Gordon, Alex Gordon. Alex Gordon, a very healthy man, probably most known for uh, his diet. Which, after every single baseball game, consisted of rice, chicken, and mixed vegetables. That's I, I already regret putting him at seven after hearing that. Oh, man. I, I've heard stories from him that every year he would, the only time he would let himself really let go was on Thanksgiving. Mm. He he had an incredible amount of discipline with his body, which I leads me to believe that since he's retired from baseball, he weighs 450 pounds. <laughs> Number six. This man does not weigh 450 pounds or else the car would go slower. That would be one Jeff Gordon. Played the exterminator in Arachnophobia. Was the husband uh, to Roseanne Wait, on the show Roseanne. Oh, no. Adam. Yeah. Adam. He was the he was the that bad guy John, in 10 Clover Lake, Cloverfield Lane. John Goodman. This is Jeff Gordon. Ah, okay. Very close. Jeff Gordon was the star of Entourage. No. Um, is that really a guy's name in Entourage? No. Uh, no, that was Adrian Grenier. My bad. <laughs> Did you confuse that? Jeff Gordon, four NASCAR titles. You can never take it away from him. I do feel bad for Jeff Gordon, though, because he got, you know, he was, like, thought of as, as one of the greatest drivers ever, and then along comes Jimmy Johnson. You know? It's like it's like Peyton Manning. You're, like, so good, and you have mm-hmm. to deal with Tom Brady. Being but I feel bad for Jimmy Johnson because he's arguably not even the most well-known sporting Jimmy Johnson. <laughs> That's very fair. But definitely in the NASCAR world, I mean, just what he did, absolutely incredible. Into the top five. Number five. Gordon Bombay. Uh, Mighty Ducks, of yep. course, uh, probably would have made it to the NHL had his leg not been slashed mm. uh, at the knee by the Iceland dirty. coach. Uh, yeah, that was some dirty stuff. Uh, how can you not like him? A state championship with yeah. the with the Mighty Ducks, and of course a, a gold medal at the Goodwill Games with the with the uh, Team USA. So he has the accomplishments. He's been through the tribes and tribulations that we love humans for. You know, a guy who he didn't start coaching these kids un- until he got a drunk driving incident. But we love to break people down, build them back up. And that was Gordon Bombay. He did take a little bit of a hit because of the new Mighty Ducks series they have on Disney+. Plus. That is a money grab. Sorry. Number four. Fourth on the list is Gordon Ramsay. He does not like your cooking. 
<laughs> and he will yell about it. Although I, I like the show where he's, isn't he nice to the kids? Yes. So it, the reason I have him one slot ahead of Gordon Bombay, they're both similar. They have their faults outside, but then when they get with kids, they're a different they, person. Yeah, you're right. You're right. That's, a, that's a good point. That's a very Except good Gordon point. Except Gordon Bombay is in, or not Gordon Bombay, Gordon Ramsay's in, in real life. But he's also, if you've ever seen him on social media, I think on Twitter, people will like tweet at him, what do you think of this dish I made? And he'll just roast them it. for it. Good it's for hilarious. them. Good for him. Number three. Third on the list. Gordon, a.k.a. Gordy Howe. So this, unlike Sting, is not a completely different name. Gordy is close to Gordon, and his name actually is Gordon. Gordy Howe is the highest-ranked athlete, I guess technically, on this list. And, I mean, just a phenomenal hockey player. He was Wayne Gretzky before Wayne Gretzky. Mr. Hockey. I mean, how can it says it all? Mr. Hockey. Is that really his nickname? Yeah. That's a boring nickname. Well, Gretzky is the great one, and Gordy Howe is Mr. Hockey. I, I kind of wish that, you know, we picked a different nickname other than just the name of the sport and putting Mr. in front of it, but oh well. Number two. Number two, I'm calling this man Mr. Dodgeball. That would be Gordon from Dodgeball, the movie. Of course, uh, movie with uh, Tom Cruise and... Uh, Jack Nicholson uh, about a bunch of a court martial <laughs> nope, situation. again. That is a few good men. Uh, yeah, this is my bad. Dodgeball, which, you know, similar to the tribes and tribulations of people going uh, on trial in a few good men. You have, uh, I, I don't know, I can't think of any comparison there. I'm sorry, you're just completely wrong. Gordon from Dodgeball is, I don't know, he's a lovable character. He's kind of the dopey, you know, down on himself character. And then he picks it up. He figures it out. He learns how to get angry. Well, he needs his wife to cheat on him yes, is what he needs. Yes, but now he's moved on. He's a better man for it. He's a better dodgeball player. I mean, they don't make it to the finals. They don't win the championship without Gordon getting angry and coming from behind. He was pivotal. And if I'm not mistaken, he was the one that got them in the – he came yeah. up with the idea because he loved obscure right. sports. So without He subscribed Gordon. to – I think the name of that magazine was actually Obscure Sports yeah. Weekly. So without Gordon, no movie. And it's one of the better movies of the last, I don't know, 20, 25 years. That's same comedy. guy who played Milton Waddams in Office Space. Was that really the same yeah. guy? Steven Root. I think you couldn't tell because the glasses. Number one. Number one on the list, though, Commissioner Gordon. I mean, we had the Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He was uh, Robin. But really, if you think about it, who's more useful to Batman? Is it Robin, who's supposed sidekick, or is it Commissioner Commis Gordon? Commissioner Gordon not only helped keep his identity a secret, he, of course, he controlled the bat signal, mm -hmm. and he he took a bullet for the mayor when the Joker tried to kill him in the Dark Knight, mm -hmm. and on top of that, he he faked he faked that death to protect his family. What a guy! Yeah, Commissioner Gordon, selfless. Loves his city. It's a, it's a horrible city, is Gotham. I mean, just the worst things happen there. But he defends it. And got to give Commissioner Gordon credit. All right, that's Adam Devetta. I'm Derek Johnson. Those are your top 10 Gordons. If you have a problem with it, shove it.